Okay, take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 39. As you're turning there, let me, let me frame uh, what we are looking at in these chapters. So in the New Testament, Paul writes these words in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Many of you know this verse well. It may be a verse you've memorized. maybe a verse you've shared with someone else. For God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those called according to his purpose. Those words are easy to say. Those words we can read right from Scripture. We can easily quote them to someone else, but here's the question that we want to look at as we go through this story of Joseph in Genesis 39, do you really believe that? Does God really work out all things for good? Even the the tough stuff you're going through right now, how in the world, how in the world would God take some of the things you're going through? and work them out for good. How will he work these out according to his purposes? We're going to look today at Genesis chapter 39, 40, and 41 as we continue our study through the book of Genesis. We're looking now at the last section of the book, and we're looking at a man named Joseph. And what I want to do today is to take chapters 39, 40, and 41, tell another part of his story. There's more to tell. We'll stop at 41. I want us to go through the story first and just grasp the story, what's going on here. Then I want to go back and draw four principles, four lessons, transferable principles from the story. So let's just work our way through the story. The last time we introduced Joseph, and remember he was Jacob's favorite son, his father's favorite son, born to his father's favorite wife, Rachel. He showed his favoritism in a lot of ways, but one tangible way he showed his favoritism is giving his son Joseph a richly ornamented coat. We talked last time, it was a tunic, probably down to the wrist, down to the ankles. It was, it was, a, it was a, an extravagant gift, but more than a gift, it was a symbol When Jacob gave that to Joseph, he was telling Joseph and he was telling the family, Joseph, you're the one who gets the blessing. Joseph, you're the one who gets the inheritance. More than just my favored son, you're going to get everything I have. And as you can imagine, his brothers hated him for it. They hated Joseph. They could hardly say a kind word to him when they saw him. They hated that coat and everything it represented. And one day when Joseph's father had sent him out into the fields to check on his brothers, they saw him coming. They said, there comes the dreamer. Let's kill him. Let's just get rid of him. We're sick of him. We don't want him in our life anymore. And if we get rid of him, one of us is going to get the blessing. And so they, when he uh, approached them, they, what's the first thing they did? They ripped off his coat. They hated that coat. They threw him in a pit. They were going to kill him while, while he was in a pit. They saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming. They had been in the northern area. They were headed down to Egypt. They were going to sell some goods. And the brothers said, let's just sell him 
into slavery to the Ishmaelites. At least we'll get some money for him. That's what they did. Sold him into slavery. They take his coat. They killed a goat. They put the blood of the goat on his coat. And they took it back to his dad and convinced his dad that he had been devoured by wild animals. So the last time we saw Joseph, he was in a caravan with his hands probably tied and a rope and a rope line with a, a line of slaves headed down to Egypt. Think about what must have been going through his mind during that time. Chapter 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of his guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who, was taken, who had taken him there. That's the first sign we see of God's providence, God's sovereign in his life. He wasn't sold as a field hand, but he is bought by this official. Look at verse two. The Lord was with Joseph. Mark that in your Bible, because that's going to show up in all of these chapters. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered, Joseph did, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor and his eyes became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his house and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessings of the Lord were on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left Joseph, he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except what he ate. Potiphar saw God's hand on this young man, probably 17, 18 years old at this time, this young man named Joseph. God had given Joseph the gift of leadership and every place he goes, he rises to the top. The gift of leadership was a blessing from God and God opened the eyes of those around him to see that his hand was on this young man. Even after this terrible ordeal of being sold into slavery, now God is giving him success and he is a star in Potiphar's house. Potiphar doesn't even care about anything else. Everything uh, he allows Joseph to do. He delegates it all to Joseph. The only thing he cares about is the food he eats. Star in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar wasn't the only one who thought Joseph was a star. Look at verse six, second part of it. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns has been entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except who? You, because you're his wife. How could I then do such a wicked thing and sin against not Potiphar, but who? God, because all sin is ultimately against God. And although, and, and though she spoke to Joseph day after day to go to bed with her, he, re, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Now, just think about what's going on here. The, the wife of, Joseph, of, uh, of Potiphar would have been the most beautiful woman in all of Egypt. He would have settled for nothing less. She enticed him day after day after day, a, a strong temptation. And Joseph 
refused what, what again must have been tremendous temptation for this 17, 18, 19 year old. He refused to go to bed with her or at the end of verse 10, <clears throat> even to be with her. Not even with her. But one day, he was alone in the house. All the household servants were gone. And Joseph, refusing to be with her, if he had seen her coming, he would have gotten away. But it seems like from the text, she snuck up behind him and she grabbed his coat. Joseph had a lot of problems with coats, right? (laughs) She grabbed his coat and he wanted to get away so badly that somehow he finagled his way out of the coat and ran and left the coat in her hands. Now, someone has said that hell has no fury as what? A woman scorned. And Potiphar's wife was uh, no exception to that. Look at verse 13. When she saw that he left the cloak in her hand and he ran out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He he came in, he tried to sleep with me, but I screamed. And and when he heard me scream for help, he he left the cloak right beside me and ran out of the house. And then she kept the cloak by her. So she gets her witnesses lined up, right? Then she kept the cloak by her, beside her, until her master came home. And then she said, told him the story, the Hebrew slave, you brought us. By the way, you need to check the references out a little more before bringing people into the house. The slave you brought us came to make sport of me, but as soon as I screamed for help, he left the cloak beside me and he ran out of the house. And without any questioning, Potiphar, scripture says he burned with anger and right then and there he took Joseph and he put Joseph in prison. Now, Joseph has to be saying, hey, time out, God. I did what you wanted me to do, and it was hard. I obeyed that temptation, and it was tough. She's the most beautiful woman in the world, the known world, and I resisted. What am I doing in prison? Does God really work all things together for good to those who love him? to those called according to his purpose. Look at verse 20. Joseph's circumstance changed, but, um, but God never, never did. God doesn't change. Middle of verse 20, but while Joseph was there in prison, there it is again, the Lord was what? He's with him. And he showed him kindness and he granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge. Again, that leadership gift always bubbles up. The warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. Again, we see the same thing that happened with Potiphar. This total delegation, total trust. Paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So Joseph is in prison. He's got to be wondering what's going on. I obeyed. I'm here. Yeah, I get it. I'm in charge of everything now, but I'd rather be free than being in charge of everything in prison. And we don't know how much time goes by, but uh, after a while, Pharaoh had this uh, uh, cupbearer and a baker And they did something that really 
irritated Pharaoh and he threw him in prison. And while they're in prison, again, we don't know how long he, they were there, they had a dream. Uh, in the Old Testament, a lot of messages are sent through dreams. And so they had this dream, but they're in prison. If they were out of prison and had a dream, they could go to someone who could tell them what the dream meant. But they're in prison. No one in prison is going to be able to tell them what the dream meant, or so they thought. So they were dejected, Scripture says. Joseph saw them. He's in charge of everyone. He saw that they were dejected. He asked what's going on. They said, we have a dream, but no one can interpret it. And Joseph said, well, I know God and he can interpret dreams. So let's give it a shot. Tell me your dream. The cupbearer said, uh, here's the deal. Uh, I, uh, I had this dream. He tells him the dream and, 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 and Joseph says, here's what's going to happen. Within three days, you're going to be released from prison. Um, Pharaoh is going to put you, he's going to restore you to your position. He's not going to be mad at you anymore. And you're going to continue to be the cupbearer of the king. When you get out, when you get out, please remind Pharaoh what I did for you. I am here unjustly and he can get me out of prison. Don't forget to do that. So in three days, guess what happened? He was released from prison, the cupbearer, put in the same position he had. And just as Joseph said, it came true. So um, the baker said, hey, that worked out pretty well. I had a similar dream that was favorable. So Joseph, what's my dream mean? And Joseph said, well, here's the good news. In three days, within three days, you're going to be let out of prison. That's the great news. But the bad news is Pharaoh's going to hang you and the birds of the air are going to eat your flesh. And the baker said, hey, just kidding. I did not want to know what the dream meant. So that's exactly what happened. One restored, one is hung. And then you would expect, wouldn't you? The, the cupbearer to tell Pharaoh, but look at verse 23. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. You go through a lot of things in life, right? Do stuff for other people. Think God's going to use that. But that's not the way it works out. He forgot him. You can only imagine that Joseph sat there in prison. He go, they go get him from a dungeon later on. So, I mean, he's in, a, he's in a tough situation. And any day he expects, you know, his, his cell to be rattled and someone to say, hey, Pharaoh wants you released. But that didn't happen the next day, and that didn't happen the next week, and that didn't happen the next month, that didn't happen the next year. Look at verse 41, when two full years had passed. Chapter 41, verse 1, when two full years had passed. Now just think about what all has happened to you in the last two years. Think about expecting something to happen. Hope deferred, Proverbs says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And here Joseph is waiting and waiting and waiting. After two years, Pharaoh has a dream. And in his dream, he, uh, he sees these cows in the Nile River. They're standing on the banks. 
and they're really healthy cows. And then these, these ugly and gaunt cows come up and eat the healthy cows. That's his dream. Then he goes, he wakes up. He says, that was a strange dream. And he goes to sleep again and he has another dream. Same type of situation happens. This time it's with grain. There's healthy grain. It grows up. And then, and then uh, grain, scripture says, like scorched by the east wind, it grows up. And the, and the thin grain eats the healthy grain. So Pharaoh wants to know what in the world his dream means. And he asks all his interpreters of dreams, but they have no earthly idea. I love verse 9, chapter 41, verse 9. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, oh man, I forgot something. Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. There's this guy in prison and he can interpret dreams. In fact, you remember when you were irritated at me and you threw me in prison and you threw the cupbearer, the, uh, the baker in prison, he, we had a dream and he interpreted it and it came out just the way it, just the way he said. And so he said, well, go get him. And so they, they cleaned uh, Joseph up. They, they gave him new clothes. They shaved him and uh, he was brought into the palace. Look at chapter 41, verse 15. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and, and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said that, that you, that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Look at Joseph's answer. Not me. I can't do it. Joseph replied, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And Joseph interprets the dream and here's what he explains. There's going to be seven years of just a tremendous bumper crop. Seven years of plentiful. Then followed by seven years of famine. Now, famine in Egypt didn't happen often because they had the Nile River running through, all the fertile land around it. There's going to be seven years of good, seven years of famine. Even when a famine came, you normally didn't know it. You didn't know it was coming. But now Pharaoh said, I got the opportunity to plan for the famine. Joseph says, here's what you need to do. You need to take a portion of this bountiful crop and, and you need to save it. You need to keep it in the storehouses for these seven years. And when you do, then when the seven years of famine comes, we'll be able, you'll be able to feed Egypt. And Pharaoh says, well, what a great idea. And, and who has wisdom like you? You've been interpreting my dream. You've got this great plan. I'm going to put you in charge. You're now in charge of the plan. Look at verse 39. Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all the people are are to submit to your orders only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Think about that. The, the, the most powerful nation on earth. Joseph, who was a slave, now is in charge. God's working all these things out for good got more to do because next time we're going to see that he saves the nation of Israel through Joseph being in this, in this spot. This happened when Joseph was 30 years old, when he was named second in command, 30 years old, 13 years. 
has gone by. He was 17 when he sold, 13 years. Now he's 30 years old. Sold into slavery, star in Potiphar's house, falsely accused, thrown into prison. Now he's in charge of the whole land. And one more thing here. He, um, he's given a wife and he has two children. Uh, look at verse uh, 51, chapter 41. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, it is because God has made me forget all my troubles and all my father's household. God's working in my life. Those, those terrible things that happened to me are like a dull memory now. Manasseh is like the Hebrew word he forgets. Then he had another child, uh, verse 52, Ephraim. And he said, it is because uh, God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The name Ephraim is like the Hebrew word twice fruitful, twice blessed. So even in, the, even in his, his uh, difficult time, he has children, his sons come, but, but he always remembers that God is blessing him despite the fact that he's in a foreign land, despite the fact that he's gone through a lot of suffering. All right, we're going to stop there in the story. I'm going to uh, give four principles, uh, four principles from this story. Now, I want to be careful on this because uh, when you are in the Old Testament, here's what you're doing. You're looking for what we call transferable truths or transferable principles. We want to make sure anything we see going on in the Old Testament as we draw a lesson from that, it is, it is confirmed or it's repeated in the New Testament, right? So if we see something in the Old Testament that happens once, like, like Gideon's fleece. Gideon had the fleece and he, he, he was looking for God's will and he puts the sheep skin out there and it's wet. He says, if it's wet, I know it's your will and it's wet one day. And he said, well, I don't know if I believe that. If it's dry the next day, then God makes it wet and dry. That's only happened one time. So, so putting out a fleece is not a normative thing of scripture. But when we see something that happens over and over, so we're looking for transferable principles. Does that make sense? So when we see something in the Old Testament, we got to confirm that in the New Testament. All right. So principle number one, again, nothing profound. God is present with believers in every circumstance of life. I don't know what you're going through, but I know this, God is with you if you're a believer. We see God's presence with Joseph when he's 17 years old, when he, when he gives him these dreams that he's gonna be a leader. We see God's presence with Joseph as he sold to Potiphar. We see God's presence with Joseph in prison. We see God's presence with Joseph as he interprets Pharaoh's dreams. His circumstance change. There are, there are great times he goes through. There are tremendously difficult times he goes through. But, God's, but God never changes. His presence is always with him. So you guys know we have um, this material called Living Grounded. Uh, a discipleship material. And the very first chapter we start with is uh, a life map. And we use Joseph's story. And we look at a life map and we say, okay, in the different sections of your life, maybe, maybe elementary years, junior high years, high school years, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever, however you want to divide them up, what has been your high times, great blessings, what have been your low times, and how have you seen God's hand work in that? And so it's amazing uh, some of the stories we see, but we all know in our life, 
these circumstances change, right? So sometimes we have these great times and we say like, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Tremendous blessing. And then sometimes right after that, we have low times. And we say, God, what are you, what are you doing? I don't get this. Just pray with some people after the first service and pray for, we could pray for many of you here today. You could say, God, I do not know what you're doing with me in this situation. I cannot figure out how you would ever use this for good. And so our life kind of looks like that, doesn't it? We have all these different circumstances, very cool times, difficult times. But what's the same in all this? The presence of God. He's immutable. He never changes. High times, low times. Times when you say, man, I can't believe I'm being blessed like this. Other times when you say, God, where in the world are you? His presence is with the believer. Let me give you three verses from the New Testament to support that. John chapter 14, verses 15 through 18. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you for how long? Just only forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and what? In you. As a believer, God's spirit is with us. His presence is always with us. I'll never leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. Hebrews chapter 13, the author says this in verses five and six. God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So, so because of who God is, we can say with confidence, the Lord is my what? He's my helper. He's with me. I will not be afraid. What can uh, mere mortals do, do, do to me? Romans 8, 38 and 39. I love this passage. Paul, after this tremendous uh, work on the sovereignty of God, concludes it with, with these words in chapter 8. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height nor depth, and just in case I've missed anything, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's with you. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know the depths that you may be in. I just know this. Our God doesn't change. If you're a believer, he is with you and he is in you. And his presence will always be with you forever. And you can bank on that and you can trust him and you can gain your strength from that. God's with us in every circumstance. Here's a second principle. I mean, I'm going to state it and I want to be really careful with this one because it can get misunderstood and uh, we'll drill down on it. Um, God, here's a second principle. God blesses obedience. God blesses obedience. God, God called Joseph to be a leader. He put him through some tough tests. Being sold into slavery, rejected by his brothers, was a tough test. God said, I got something for you to do. It is significant. It is great. Can you trust me and follow me even when your hands are tied together by a rope and you're in a rope chain of other slaves? Joseph, can you trust me? Potiphar's wife was a tough test. God was saying, Joseph, I got great things to do for you. I don't waste your time, but I got to know this. 
when no one else is looking, will you still obey me? Will you do what's right, even when wrong, will deliver immediate satisfaction? And I love what what Joseph did. He, he He not only didn't go to bed with her, he didn't even stick around her. He didn't play with fire. He, he made certain that there were no flirtatious conversations. He, he made certain, he, he didn't see how close he could get without getting burned. That's a great lesson in and of itself, isn't it? And when she grabbed a hold of him, he, he literally ran out of the house, ran from temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, flee sexual immorality. And if you're in the same boat as Joseph was, male or female, man or woman, husband's wife, whatever, single, if you're in a situation that, that someone or something is pulling you into, and, and it is, a, and it is pull, they're pulling you into something you know is wrong, you need to flee that temptation. Get out of it. Don't be with that person. Don't be in that situation. There are going to be some tough stretches. But God's path of our journey is always paved with blessing. And one thing, and one thing Joseph always does, man, he's always giving God the praise. He's always saying, I can't interpret the dreams, but God can. I know a God who can interpret dreams. He tells the baker and the cupbearer, tells Pharaoh, I can't do it, but God can. And he tells Pharaoh over and over again, this is significant in the story, we don't have time to develop this, but, but Pharaoh, Pharaoh thinks he's God. Pharaoh is the God of Egypt. But Joseph goes in and stands right to his face and says, in essence, you may thank your God, but you can't even interpret your dreams. But I got this God who can. And Pharaoh, who thought he was a God, saw God's work in Joseph's life. See, God blesses obedience, but let's be careful with this. God blesses obedience, but that doesn't mean his blessings are going to be our desires. See, prosperity gospel says, and you know, you give to God, you serve God, and he will give you all the stuff back. It doesn't always work like that. So we go to the New Testament and we see many who followed hard after Christ. We see tough things happening in their life. We see, we, we see Paul following Christ and he's beaten and he's thrown into prison and he gets out and then what happens again? He's beaten and thrown into prison. So sometimes God's blessing are not always what, what we expect. He gives us what we need. He gets us ready for the next step of the journey. My dad died when I was 19 years old. He was diagnosed with, with cancer. Six months later, he was gone. And those were some tough times. I know many of you have experienced that like, firsthand. And we were there when my dad died. Now, I know, I, I hear these stories. I know there's some cool things that happen uh, when people die. I'm not, I'm not debating that, but I got to tell you the times I've been with people who are dying, I've never seen angels at the foot of the bed. Um, I, at my dad's funeral, people didn't come to Christ. So I can't say, oh, that's why it happened. Years later, I still don't know why. But God, but God does. 
We can trust him even when we don't understand, even when the message is not clear to us. We can trust him that somehow, somehow you are working this out for good. Obedience produces blessing. But again, we're not talking prosperity gospel. It may be a blessing. You may say, well, I don't, and you know, you say that, but I don't get it because I've been in this marriage and I've been fighting for my marriage and my spouse is leaving. That may be the case. But somehow God's gonna bless you with his protection, with his strength, with his care. So, so, so don't always think you have to measure a blessing. You know, I've been really obedient in business. I've lived above reproach while everyone else is cutting, cutting corners. And so my next quarter, man, God's going to bless it tremendously. Maybe not. But obedience always has the pleasure of his, of his fellowship, of his care, his protection, his presence, all the spiritual blessings. And that brings us to the next principle, great assignments demand great training. See, God's got great things for you. If you're a believer, God has great things for you. Just read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do the good things that he's called you to do. Great things. But he's got to get you ready. See, Joseph wasn't ready when he was 17 years old to be the second in command of Egypt. Joseph wasn't ready when he was in Potiphar's house to be second in command of Egypt. Joseph wasn't ready when he was in prison to be second in the command of Egypt. God kept him there, trained him, worked on him, and said, finally, okay, now it's it. It's not going to be the last challenge you have, Joseph. But I've taken you through some tough times. Rejection, slavery, false accusations, prison. I've been with you all the time. Great assignments. Great assignments call for great training. I, just, I, just want, I don't know what you're going through. I just know this. God never wastes our time. And if you're a believer, he's working situations in your life today to allow you to be what he needs you to be tomorrow. He's getting you ready. He's training you. His presence is there all along. His comfort is there all along. His strength is there all along. But he's getting you ready for the next step, the next stage of the journey. Now, here's the problem. A lot of Christians, when they go through the tough times, what do they do? They bail. And they go their own direction. But the believer says, God, I don't get it. I don't get this trough. I don't understand it, but I trust you. See, two questions. Can you trust God? Emphasis on trust. And we say, oh yeah, you can trust God. I see it all through the Bible. But the real question is this. Can you trust God? Even when it's tough. And we see that in the life of Joseph. One other thing before we close. Egypt was the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. And here's what we see. God is sovereign over all nations. The most powerful country known in the world was Egypt because of the Nile River, uh, their economy. Man, they were, they were always going up. Except when God said, time for famine. God's still sovereign, isn't he? Over our nation. 
And when we celebrate the independence of our nation, we see time and time again how God has worked. And he still is. I know there's a lot of stuff going on in our country. I know some things aren't always working out like we want them to. But I know this. God is sovereign. And I can promise you this. I'm no prophet. But based on God's word, I can promise you this. Whether there is a Republican or a Democrat or an independent in the White House, God is still sovereign. He's in control. And we can trust him. Our faith is not in a person or a system or government. Those are great things. We're tremendously blessed. The psalmist says in Psalm 20, verse 6 and 7, now I know this. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Personally, nationally, we trust in the name of the Lord our God. He is in control. He can be trusted. Can you trust him? That's a question, isn't it?